Good morning. Good to see you all. My name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And as Emily said earlier, welcome to Mission Point Community Church, especially those of you who are with us for the very first time. Again, we consider it such a privilege that you have chosen to spend some of your weekend and remaining pieces of your fall break here uh, with us. And so good to just be together uh, and just in the Lord's presence, worshiping and grateful for Jason and the team leading us and and opportunities for us to to give back through the offering. And thank you uh, for those of you who just faithfully give and partner with this and what it means to just come together around the ministry that God has led us to do here in our county and to make things like the supermarket suite possible for us to lean into just a spirit of generosity in our community and to have services like last Sunday where we saw 15 lives come up here on stage and be baptized and make a public profession of faith. Just, yes, yeah, so, so good. Oh, just been celebrating that all, all week, and it was great last week to have the Kids Point Band and the kids in the house um, with us, and, and just grateful to, to have their energy uh, in with us, and was uh, actually talking to the, the children's ministry team this week, and they were sharing with me that in Kids Point, they are actually launching a series on generosity in Kids Point. So uh, parents, if you want to just put to work and test out what your kids have learned, Challenge them to take you out to lunch later today. I mean, just say, you know, hey, let's go. It's on you. I heard you learned about generosity. So, uh, so let's, let's go with that. But no, seriously, so grateful for that team, the staff and the volunteers and the ways that they uh, faithfully not only work so hard to create just safe and engaging environments for our kids, but the ways in which they lean into opening up the truth of God's word, even to the littlest ones. So... Um, My goodness, please, even if you don't have kids, head down there at some point, uh, thank those people uh, for the work they do, jump in with them, lend a hand, uh, and just the amazing, amazing work that's happening there. Well, this morning, uh, I am here to continue our series, Jesus Uncensored, What We Wished He Hadn't Said. And uh, so we'll, we'll go through a discussion here today. And then next Sunday, Kondo will be back up with us to uh, wrap up this series. And then we will be launching into some different, just exciting things uh, the month of November that you are not going to want to uh, miss, but we're going to continue on here with our conversation. Uh, and in this conversation, what we've been doing is exploring uh, some of Jesus' teachings in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go and open it there, Matthew uh, chapter 5. Um, and as always, we put the words on the screens if you don't have a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, a physical copy of the Bible, we would love to give one to you as a gift. You can get one at the connection corner anytime today. Uh, Just ask the folks out there. But we've been talking through this passage in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is very early in his public ministry, and he is got a following of people who are coming around him and they are trying to just kind of get their arms around who is this guy, this new rabbi who is on the scene. What is he about? What, What is his bent, so to speak, theologically. What is he teaching about? And so he's starting to perform some miracles. There's a little bit of buzz around him. And so he begins with this just big sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've discussed and as we've titled in this series, this is some of Jesus' harder teachings. It's some of the harder things to process, has a little bit of an edge to it. 
But as we've discussed, what, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is, is kind of setting up for us in this sermon just a whole lot of context in what it means to be thinking and living in a kingdom mindset. He is coming to usher in the kingdom of God and he's inviting people to this new way of life, what it means to be followers of God, followers of Jesus, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so in this sermon, what he's communicating is, is what it means to live and be a part of the kingdom. And so in this series, uh, we have processed uh, just a, a variety of his teachings, things about the law, things about uh, murder and, and anger. We've talked about adultery and lust. Uh, last week, Kondo talked about just the idea of making an oath or, or swearing. And today, we're going to talk about divorce. Parents, uh, I want you to know, if, you, if you're here with kids in the room, um, we, we love that, and we always want you to have the opportunity to make some of those editorial choices for your kids. Uh, today, we're going to kind of hover in just a uh, sort of a PG uh, mode, if you will, um, but just want to give you the opportunity, again, to, to always consider the children's ministry uh, for your kids, but we want to partner with you in what it looks like to have these conversations and even have helpful resources for you to have these conversations at home. And so we will talk about that and please don't ever hesitate to, to pursue and ask for that. But as we dive in on this, I just wanna say right off the bat that this has been one of the more, if not the most difficult messages to prepare. Uh, I worked hard to come up with some, some really great ideas and some stories and uh, you know, kind of wanted to come up with a, a cute, catchy intro that would just sort of help us to ease in a little bit. But the reality is this is just an incredibly sensitive and emotional topic. And, and what I, I came to just begin to see and to think is, is that you don't need more stats on divorce. You, you don't need to hear about the cultural impact uh, that divorce is, is having on us. We, we all know these things all too well because divorce is something that affects all of us. Whether it is directly, something very up close and personal or indirectly through other relationships, we are all affected by it. And even now as I am starting this and as I am saying the word divorce, I know that many of us in this room have just sort of tensed up a little bit because it's painful. It's emotional. It's personal. And some of us are tensing up over the fear that I'm going to say something in this conversation that's going to just pile on a sense of guilt and make you feel worse than when you walked in here today. And I certainly hope that that is not the case. And I have been praying that the grace and peace of Jesus can overwhelm us in this conversation here today. Some of us are still very much in the midst of some of this, and we are raw and we are hurt by the circumstances of divorce and troubled marriages. And you may be hoping that I will say something that will validate you or help you get back at the person who has wronged you. And yet I think God has much more for us than that. And I hope and pray that we can dial in to what the Spirit wants to say to us. So listen, I want to ask one really hard and one really unfair question as we lean into this, as we start this. 
Again, with the understanding that we have all been affected by divorce and there are people in this room who, who are going through divorce or are divorced and it is hard and it is emotional and it is sensitive. I'm going to ask that today for a few moments that we press pause on some of our personal perspective, our personal views, our personal experience. That, that, that we just kind of try to press pause on, on the experiences, that how we jump to what our parents have done, how, how we think about what he did, what he said, what, what she said, why we signed the divorce papers. And again, it's such a personal thing, but my hope is that we can be just a little bit more freed up today to soak in God's word and God's perspective and what he has to say about marriage and divorce. And look, I'm not gonna answer every question uh, today. And I'm aware of the fact that some of the things that we will talk about today will, will possibly raise new questions for you. And we all know that for thousands of years, Christians and and churches have wrestled and argued and debated this topic to no end. And there are great pastors and churches and scholars, people that I know and love that differ on their views when it comes to marriage and divorce. And the leadership of Mission Point has never shied away from the fact that there are hard things in scripture that aren't always 100% clear. And so we do our very best to teach what we believe to be undeniably and scripturally true and honest about the things that are our opinions and our best attempts at applying what we believe God has revealed to us in his word. So today I wanna do my best uh, to focus in on reading and discussing the text. And we have labored over this as a team and we have processed this and we have talked about this and we have prayed over this and we have debated this and I am begging God to allow his truth to do its work and to penetrate our hearts. And I hope that we can find ourselves at the end moved by the hope of the gospel. In fact, I wanna take just one more moment to ask God for wisdom as we step in to the scripture together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the freedom that we can find in it. God, we need you in this conversation right here, right now. We need your spirit to speak loudly to us. Help us to see and to hear truth. Help us to silence the lies and the distractions of the evil one. And God, draw us to your son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that we find in him. Amen. All right, so let's look together. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who, de- who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We see again this familiar rhythm of Jesus saying and starting off with, it has been said, it has been said. You've heard it said about this thing. You've heard this part of the law you are familiar with. And for Jesus' audience in this moment, they were not only familiar with this idea of the certificate of divorce that shows up in the Mosaic law, 
But they were also very familiar to some of the prevalent teaching of the law around this topic at this time. There are two kind of pretty famous rabbis at the time, one named Hillel and the other named Shammai, and they represented two of the most popular views and practices when it came to divorce. Hillel taught, just kind of unabashedly, you don't like your wife, leave her. Go get another one. She's not getting it done on the matzo ball soup, whatever, fine, leave her, no big deal. And we know, and we've talked about before, there was just this very lesser than approach and view of women in this culture. And Hillel certainly perpetuated that in his view of like, ah, the woman, she doesn't matter, just move on to the next one. And if you know anything about Jesus' ministry and his heart for women and their place in the world and in the kingdom of God, you know this goes very much against what he would say. Shammai taught that in very difficult, unresolvable circumstances that divorce was acceptable. So again, a little bit more honed in, but open to just a whole lot more interpretation of what that could potentially mean. And so this is where Jesus' audience is coming from when they are hearing this. And by the way, they're in a culture where divorce is fairly rampant. And so Jesus, speaking from a kingdom perspective, comes to the table and he said, you've heard it said this way, but I want to share a bigger perspective. Now in this chapter, Matthew chapter five, we get a very short glimpse. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19, just a few chapters ahead. And this is where Jesus expands his view in this conversation in much more detail. Here we find Jesus in just another public setting and it's very similar to where we start in Matthew chapter five where Jesus has a bunch of people following him and they're leaning in and he's performing miracles and he's healing people and, and you know, he, he's kind of teaching and, and people are just wanting more, wanting to understand and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they show up and they begin to pepper him as they do with these questions, trying to trip him up. And so we start off here in Matthew uh, 19, Verse three, so the Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Watch how Jesus responds here. Just masterful, masterful in his approach. Verse four, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Much like the Pharisees, we often find ourselves in our culture leaning into this sort of question When is it okay to divorce? We posed the question in our, our teaser video just a moment ago. Is there ever a time that it's okay to leave the marriage? And how Jesus responds to the Pharisees and how I believe he would respond to us is essentially this. Hey, I hear you. I, I get it. I heard the question, but that's the wrong question. To answer this, I need to take you back to the beginning. And that's exactly what he does. When Jesus says at the beginning, he is quoting from Genesis chapter two. And it's why I asked you earlier to put your personal story on pause. It doesn't mean it's not valid. Of course it's valid. 
But it's not where this conversation has to start. If we purely lean into our personal story and our circumstances, we can talk ourselves into just about anything. We can create our own framework. We can cut our own path. And Jesus is saying, to answer this question, I need to calibrate and point you back to true north. God's vision for marriage. God has a vision for marriage, a a plan, a a design. And and we get caught up in our relational issues and in our tensions. And if we don't lean back into this original design, this original vision, and be reminded of the bigger picture, the bigger story, we risk falling into the enemy's plan and deception that the whole thing is about us. My life, my satisfaction, my needs, my wants. You see, marriage is actually a really big deal in the context of the human story, human history, so much that it dates all the way back to the beginning. And think about that for just just a moment. In the first few chapters of the scriptures, the first few chapters of the Bible, the human story, there's a chunk of scripture devoted to not your finances, not your spiritual gift, not the Ten Commandments, but to marriage. It's a big deal. So so let's look at the the beginning of of Genesis chapter two and we'll just throw this up here quickly, but God has created Eve. He's gone through this whole series of creation and you know the story. He he created the the earth and the stars and the water and the sky and the light and it's good and it's good and it's good. And there's this creation rhythm of it's good, it's good. He gets to man, he creates man and it ends the rhythm, it stops the rhythm. It is not good for man to be alone. And so he puts Adam to sleep and he takes of his rib and out of it he creates woman and he presents Eve to Adam and and Adam has just this, this response. And then in verse 24 of Genesis chapter two, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This passage is talking about leaving your father and your mother, becoming one flesh, being naked and not ashamed, leaving and cleaving. Not just a sexual union. This is not just talking about a sexual union, much, much broader than that. What is happening here is the forming of a new identity. It's a dying of self. Something is being forged together. Something is happening between these two people that is divine and it is created and it is something that's part of a greater plan. You see, marriage is God's sacred illustration for his plan for human history. When you said, I I do, and you stood at the altar. It wasn't just about you two lovebirds. It wasn't just about the overwhelming feelings and passions and the butterflies in your stomach and all of those things. You see, that's just the top of the funnel. From the very beginning, marriage was supposed to be an illustration of the plan, a portrait of redemption, a portrait of God's work in the lives of his creation. And what this means for us is that we are a visible representation 
of God's heart for human history. My good friend and uh, pastor of the church that I used to work at in North Atlanta, uh, Dr. Crawford Loritz, who has been married uh, to his amazing wife, Karen, for almost 50 years, has written a number of books and and led retreats and uh, just spoken on marriage countless, countless times. And these next few ideas are are ideas that I've learned uh, from him. And in a variety of settings and ways, he has talked about uh, these three God-given purposes for marriage. The first purpose is uh, that we mirror God's image. That we mirror God's image. God exists in the form of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. They are one and they operate in unity and a healthy marriage is a picture of unity. And you know, division in marriage is just awful and painful. And yet in our marriage, we should be telling the truth about the unity of the Trinity. We're a portrait of Christ's relationship with the church. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter five, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Our marriage mirrors God's image in that we are a portrait of Christ's relationship with the church. My marriage is saying something about Christ's heart and love for the church. It's reflecting something that is so deep and meaningful. God's redemptive plan is on display in how we interact with each other as spouses. Our ability to love each other points to the cross. Our, our, our desire and our willingness to show grace points to the cross. Our, our ability to step up in forgiveness says something about the cross. We mirror God's image. The second purpose that God has for us in our marriage is to multiply a godly legacy. Our marriages shouldn't be about, I'm sorry, our marriages should be about building a godly legacy. And most practically speaking, that plays out in having a family and raising children. And now I say that with great, great sensitivity and realization that some of us struggle with infertility and the inability to have kids. But I hope that you don't miss the greater point of multiplying in your marriage a godly legacy, the desire to be a part of raising up image bearers, The purpose in our marriage is that we would be image bearers of God and then that we would multiply in that legacy and raise up other image bearers. Your marriage is not just about you, it's about future generations. And whether you have a house full of kids, biological, adopted, fostered, or you invest your marriage into your community and the young lives around you, you are called to multiply a godly legacy through your marriage. This is what be fruitful and multiply is all about. It's not just about sex and childbirth, but it's about a great vision and calling to lean into raising up the next generation. The third purpose in a godly marriage is to mutually complete one another. Mutually complete one another. Again, in the rhythm of creation, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's not good for man to be alone. We need each other. 
And single folks, if you will just bear with me for a few moments, I, I will speak to you. But the nature of marriage has to do with personal development. You get married to be a better person. You are married to be developed. You are married to be in community. Your marriage is about dealing with your sin. And marriage often gets stale because we stop growing and changing. A commitment to marry is a commitment to change. The very nature of marriage is developmental. I'm a much better person because of the ways that Erica has spoken into my life and pushed me towards becoming the man that God has created me to be. And I will never forget one of our first big mega fights. And, you know, lest you forget that your pastor is human, we, we fight, all right? True story. It happens. It's not all rainbows and sunshine and spoonfuls of imagination. <laughs> regardless of what social media may say. And I'll never forget this, this first fight, this big mega fight that caused her to run out the door, get in her car, and leave. She was gone for just a few hours, but, but I was convinced in those just torturous few hours that she ran home and she was sitting with her parents or her sisters and she was just letting them in on our dirty laundry and what a jerk that I was being. And she eventually came home and she walked through the door and, and I just asked straight up, did you go to your parents? Nope. I went to the outlet mall and I spent your money. to help you make up for being a jerk. <laughs> she says all the time she's not quick on her feet, but I don't know about that. And this has been an ongoing joke for us. Anytime, you know, we, we hit that like level, next level tension, you know, Erica will just kind of raise her eyebrows and, and look at me and let me know this fight's about to be really expensive. Um, <laughs> But you see, in that moment, what Erica did in the midst of some tough circumstances is she chose to preserve our unity, to protect our intimacy. And in doing so, she moved me to a greater level of trust and admiration in her. It strengthened our marriage and it made me a better person. She opened the door to an opportunity for us to bear the image of God and to multiply a godly legacy in the ways in which she leaned in to develop and move us to be better people. So back to Jesus and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19. They ask, when is it okay to get divorced? And Jesus says, hey, whoa, whoa, time out. We need to go back to the beginning and we need to talk about the original plan, God's design, God's vision for marriage. And they respond in verse seven, which ties to what Jesus was saying in our original passage in Matthew chapter five. Take a look, Matthew 19, verse seven. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Okay, so God has this grand plan for marriage, great. But why then did Moses, and let's not forget that Moses is one of the founding fathers of the faith. In our world, we know this, when our rights are, are sort of being on the verge of being violated or, or someone is pressing in, what do we quickly run to? The Constitution, our founding fathers, according to them, this is my right. And so the Pharisees do the same. Moses allowed divorce. 
And look at Jesus' response. This is so key. Verse eight, Jesus replied, Moses permitted. There's other versions that say allowed. Moses allowed you to to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. And he tags onto that and and then we see it again in Mark chapter 10, verse nine. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Yes, Moses allowed for and ultimately allowed for, God ultimately allows for divorce because of the sinfulness and the hardness of our hearts. It does not mean that you have to, but he allows you. It doesn't mean that you should, but you can. Jesus just makes it clear that this is never what God wanted. This is what people insisted on. And we know this, God gives us free will. The apostle Paul talks about in the book of Corinthians, he says that the freedom that we have in Christ, it may mean that we have the right to do anything. Things may be allowed or permissible, but it doesn't mean that they are good or that they come free of consequences. We see other instances of this kind of interaction between God and his people. After being freed from slavery in the oppression of Egypt, by God's hand and God's hand alone, the people go through the wilderness and they they journey through all kinds of crazy circumstances and God is with them. He's physically hovering above them in a cloud. He's providing for them and their daily needs and he's leading them on a journey into the promised land. And all along the way, the people are complaining and they're whining. And when they are established in the promised land, they are demanding a king. They want a human king. Even though they have God with them, they wanna have a king like the other nations. And God says, no. And they press back, we want a king. And God says, no. And they press back, we want a king. And finally, God allows it. And we can see the great consequences throughout the Old Testament as a result. Now, God was still present. He still maintains his character. He faithfully keeps up his end of the deal. But human king after human king after human king, we see the Israelites suffer the messy consequences of their demand. And you see, God's plan for marriage is that it's a sacred institution that he created. And when he brings two people together in marriage, it is not designed to be torn apart. Tearing a marriage apart goes in direct contrast with what God desires. The prophet Malachi in the Old Testament was speaking to a group of people where again, divorce was rampant and it's just happening like crazy. And he communicates God's feelings very clearly about divorce. Malachi chapter two, verse 16. This is in the New American Standard Version. It says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. God did not say he hates you. God did not say he hates the person who divorces. He said he hates divorce. Why? Because it destroys and violates the vision. It shatters his purposes in marriage. It makes a statement about God's power, God's grace, God's forgiveness in us, that it wasn't enough for us to overcome the circumstances facing us. And because of that, he hates it. 
God knows there are victims. He knows that there are some that are more right than others. And why should you have to pay for the sin of another person? But he says, I hate it. It's not my design. I don't want it, but I'm going to allow it. And and while he allows it, and we all, we know, we know, we know that Jesus paid it all and forgiveness for any and all sins can be found in him. I do not believe that God sanctions divorce. He allows it, but he does not sanction it. And this is the reason I believe that divorce is so messy. Sanctioning is blessing something. It's getting behind it. God does not sanction, bless, or get behind divorce. He allows it. And it's important for us to understand that distinction. And when we move forward in something that he does not bless, we are opening ourselves up to a mess. Don't be fooled. There is no such thing as an amicable, mutual, mess-free divorce. Doesn't exist. No such thing as consequence-free. Divorce is a consequence of sin. And many times where one party has violated the marriage and habitual, unrepentant sin, leaving the other party victim to really unfair and painful circumstances. It's painful and it's messy. But God makes an exception and allows it. Which brings the challenge for us today. And the heart and the focus and the thing that we hope that we can lean into as a church. Don't run towards the exception. Uphold the vision. Don't run towards the exception. Uphold the vision. Biblically, I find two reluctant exceptions. And I don't want to spend much time on these because I believe Jesus has called us to much greater, but I find two areas that seem to be reluctant exceptions. Jesus talks about the first in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 19, and it's sexual immorality. And we processed this a couple of weeks ago. As we said, the language Jesus uses here is not just the physical act of adultery, but the full pendulum of lustful thinking and actions all the way to adultery. And I believe the heart in this exception is related to repetitive, habitual, and unrepentant behavior. This is a reluctant exception. God allows it. But I personally know several marriages that have overcome these incredibly painful sins all the way across the spectrum and the pendulum with loads of grace, forgiveness, and prayer. And God's power, deliverance can be experienced here. The other reluctant exception Paul talks about later in the scriptures is about a spouse that is a follower of Jesus being abandoned or deserted by an unbelieving spouse. And again, I realize I'm not gonna answer all of the the questions here and and get deep into some of this. And it's because I just believe what's critical for us here today is, is just this desire and this lean towards a mindset that says, don't run towards the exception, uphold the vision. Because even in these exceptions, God never applauds divorce. There's no circumstance or situation that brings about divorce where God will ever look at and just end with a smile. He hates it when oneness he created to be permanent is broken. It breaks his design and we can never, ever believe that he is okay with that. We are called in marriage to submit and love as Christ loves the church. 
And yet, how often do we, the church, cheat on Christ? How often do we turn our back on him to fulfill the lusts of our flesh? How often do we deny him in the pursuit of our own desires? And yet he never gives up on us. He never stops pursuing us. He followed through on his vows and his covenant all the way to his death. Imagine a world that held that kind of sacred perspective and honor over the vision and institution of marriage. And that's why the disciples push back and have a reaction in Matthew chapter 19 after hearing Jesus talk about this. In verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And and young people, single people, we've talked about this before, seize this thought. Marriage is hard. It is not something that should ever be taken lightly, ever. In your singleness, you have a privileged position and opportunity to live out the power of the gospel with a freedom that those of us who are married do not have. If you choose to enter into a marriage covenant, great, but please do so with the seriousness that it deserves. In the meantime, lean into the vision that God has for you now in this season. Let me take a moment to speak to those of us who find ourselves in struggling or or even dead marriages. The word divorce means to put away, to cast away. Now, some of us here, we've never signed the papers, but we have cast away our marriages. And you cannot walk around believing that you are somehow making God smile by being roommates who coexist. God's desire is oneness. And if you are living separately in the same house, this is not God's heart. If you are not willing to take steps towards oneness with your spouse, this is not God's heart. When God's design is the starting place, we soon realize that it's not just legal divorce that God hates. It's anything, anything that breaks the oneness of marriage, anything that blurs the picture of Jesus Christ and his church. Heaven is not saying and celebrating, well, at least you're still under the same roof. Now, I'm not saying if your marriage is dead, then get divorced. Not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if your marriage is dead, there is a God who loves to make dead things alive again. And I'm saying that it's never too late. I'm not saying that it will be easy. Dead is not easy. I'm just saying that it doesn't have to be finished. And we can lean in and ask the question, is there, is there ever a time to get out of the marriage? And we can make a, a, a biblical case for a couple of small and reluctant exceptions. But if marriage is designed to be about self-sacrificial oneness, the better question to ask is how can I move towards oneness? How can I take steps towards oneness? All of us, whatever circumstances, whatever marital status you find yourself in today, I'm just saying this all boils down to the need for us as the church to start with God and not ourselves. Otherwise, we just cannot get where we need to go. If we don't begin with God's heart, how can we fall into his hands? How can we find his healing?
Please don't a la carte the issue. Don't let the pain of what you've been through just be so overwhelming that you can't hear the Spirit's whisperings to you. I, I would encourage you, please, to keep these three words in mind if you're walking through this process. Grace, forgiveness, restoration. Grace, forgiveness, restoration. There is not a sin that is above the grace, the forgiveness, and the restoration of God. It's so complex. It is messy. But God, through his grace and forgiveness, can restore. When he was 18 years old, my dad graduated high school in Marietta, Georgia. And almost right after graduation, he got married. And then two years later, he was divorced. And by God's grace and forgiveness, a number of years later, he met and he married my mom. And nine days ago, they celebrated 44 years of marriage. They aren't perfect, but they are certainly one of our personal models for marriage. And the crazy thing is, I wouldn't be here. My kids wouldn't be here if it wasn't for divorce. Crazy, right? But that's how God proves himself faithful, even in the midst of our mess. Even in the midst of our mess, he is still faithful to show up. So let me give you a couple of things to walk away with as we wrap this up today. Let the church be the church. Please let the church be the church. Invite the church to get involved. And the sooner, the better. One of the harder, more frustrating things for us is when we find out about things kind of late in the story. When things are at this just critical mass. Please let the church be involved. Don't let your pride get in the way. You're not alone in this. You're not the only one. There's not judgment here there's a desire to help. Let the community know, let your community know before you make a decisive move. Please let your small group know. Please let our leaders know, our staff, our elders. Please, before you make a decisive move, please let someone know. If you're not sure how to take steps towards oneness, let us know. We would love to help you in that. If you are physically or emotionally unsafe, Please tell someone today. And this may surprise you and you may not expect this coming from me in, in, in this message, but in extreme cases, you may need to separate. Especially when you are physically, emotionally in danger. Get out. Get out. Separate until there can be an opportunity for safety and trust to be restored. But please don't walk in that alone. Please tell someone and tell someone today so that we can walk with you and we can help you. If you're in a relationship with unfaithfulness, don't cover it up. There is no healing in the cover-up. Church, if you know that there's a marriage that is struggling, don't ever be content just to talk about it. Pray and offer help. And if you don't know what that looks like, you don't know what to do, come and talk to us. We will help point you in the right direction. And if you're involved in a divorce, 
or you are divorced, you've been divorced, here's a few things for you. If you're the guilty partner or you've been so wounded and hurt that you've tripped into sin, repent. Repent. You need to take care of unfinished business. It may mean making a phone call or sending an email, even just to humbly say, I'm sorry. Graciously go beyond what you need to do. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to take care of it. If you owe child support, pay it. Do not let things hang out there. Don't leave stuff hanging. Repent and take action. Next thing is to release. Release. The key word here is is forgiveness. Give it and receive it. Our pain and our anger, we want the people who have hurt us to pay for what they have done to us. Here's a, a, just a good indicator of, of how you're doing, how your heart's doing in this idea of release. If you're looking for opportunities to unload and unload the story in a way that shames and is attempting to win people to your side, then you haven't released. And I know it's painful and I know it's filled with shattered dreams. And I know, I know, I know it's just so incredibly hard, even harder than death in some cases because the person is still alive and oftentimes with someone else and you still see them and you know about what's going on in their life. But if you don't forgive, it's going to destroy you. It's going to kill you. It's going to hurt your kids. Again, We have people to help you and people to counsel and walk with you through this. Just please ask. And finally, rebuild. Give yourself permission to receive and enjoy God's grace. Let God love you. Reinvest back into your relationship with him. And over time and through a process of healing and finding health and finding strength, use your story for redemption. It's not easy, but together with, your, with the help of the Spirit, we can rise above the cultural norms and we can paint a powerful picture for the world to see. Now I'm gonna pray for us in a moment to close us out. And, and um, I'm gonna ask our, our elders and, and their wives something that, that we didn't really plan today uh, as I pray to, to come forward and to just kind of stand up here and, and turn towards the audience. And... Uh, They're gonna be here for you to process, to start a conversation, to say a prayer. There is no judgment in this. Our desire is to help you to take steps towards grace and towards freedom. And I know it's incredibly hard to think about walking against the flow as the crowd is leaving and to identify yourself by coming up front. If you need to just sit and wait in your seat for a while, this is a safe place, we'll just kind of, Keep the music going for a little bit and hang out. Take all the time you need, but come forward and begin the conversation. Talk to someone, connect with someone. Let us help you and begin to take steps in this process. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your love and for the grace and forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ. Father, this is just such a hard, hard, hard conversation because it's something that applies to all of us and we have all felt the effects of this. 
And yet we want to lean into proclaiming you to be who you say you are. We want to take you up on your promises. We want to lean into Jesus Christ and the forgiveness and the grace and the healing and the restoration that we can find in him. So Father, would you courageously move in us through that? And whatever this looks like for us, however this has affected us, however this has hurt us, God, give us the courage to take one step today, one step forward towards trusting you more with this situation. And God, may we be a people, may we be a community that even in our marriages, God, that we would not run towards the exception, but we would uphold the vision and we would move towards what you have designed and you have created to be a beautiful thing. And may we paint a picture for our community to see. And God, may we be just extra gracious and loving and caring for those around us who are living in pain and hurt and the brokenness of divorce. May we open our homes and open our lives to help facilitate healing and safe places. God, we need you in that. Be with us as we go. In Christ's name, amen.